he's got qualities that would make it very easy for him to become Miles' evil twin. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. Because history has shown us that courage can be contagious, and hope can take on a life of its own. I will bring you hope. And I ask only one thing in return. We move now, together. Not at all. Hope is not lost today. It is found. Hope is what keeps you going. Even if the whole world is telling you to move, it's your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye and say no. You move. Welcome to Reading Rangers, part of the Skiffy and Fanti family of podcasts. I'm Trishy Matson. I'm Kate Sherratt. And I'm Paul Weimer. And today we are talking about Mirror Dance, one of the Vorkosigan series by Lois McMaster Bujold. And Paul, I believe you have a recap for us. I do. Okay, Mirror Dance falls off right just after our previous novel, Brothers in Arms, where we got introduced to the character of Mark Vorkosigan. A little time has passed, Miles has gone on more missions, and Mark has dropped out of sight, much to the disappointment of Miles, who has been trying to bring him in out of the cold, literally metaphorically speaking, for quite some time. Mark decides to come in out of the cold by impersonating Miles as Admiral Naismith and taking part of the Nadari Free Mercenaries on a rescue adventure to Jackson's Hole. Readers who remember one of our early episodes remember the last time that Miles Wachowskian visited Jackson's Hole on a liberation mission, and that didn't precisely go that well. I mean, Miles did get the contract, but he nearly got himself shot out from under himself. Mark, unfortunately, doesn't know about any of this, and so... When he convinces the Tendera Free Mercenaries that, oh yes, we have a liberation mission on Jackson Hole, they go, they blithely go along and he's completely clueless as to the history that Miles has had with certain members of, of the various houses on Jackson's Hole, which gets Mark into deep trouble immediately. Miles, in the meantime, has had a really nice vacation and is looking forward to his next cushy contract with Imperial Security, only to find out that part of his fleet is gone. Miles doesn't take this well and decides to go chase after his twin-slash-younger-slash-clone brother. Unfortunately, in trying to get his brother out of Hawk, poor Miles gets himself shot and killed. And then we have the most lovely part of the book where Mark has to pose as Miles again on purpose in order to convince everybody that the body in the, in the casket that they're trying to get back is Mark and not exactly Miles would be even more valuable than than Mark himself. Miles, in the meantime, when he finally comes to, is has found himself in a clinic and is slowly trying to figure out who he is before the clinic decides he's not worth the time and effort and will just chop him up for body parts. Miles fortunately gets himself back on his feet long enough to help Mark get himself, the members of the cl- clinic, and the Vintari Free Marsaries out of Hawk, but they're going to be costs to this, and we see that already. Miles didn't take death very well, and but on the other hand, Mark has come in out of the cold, and 
He's met the family. God help all of them. And that's basically the plot. Well, most of the stuff about the plot that I want to talk about, you kind of elided past, which is <laughs> Miles go- goes to Mark's rescue, and Mark kind of tries to go to Miles's rescue <laughs> in a fashion, and ends up captured by some very bad people who treat him. This is the most gruesome account of prisoner mistreatment I have encountered in prose. And I almost, this is my favorite of the, the, of the books so far, but I almost could not finish this. <laughs> Just, oh. There are some really rough parts to this book, and it's probably the one, you know, out of the first uh, dozen or so that I have reread the least because of the difficult parts. Mark makes some very bad decisions and some actions that aren't really almost decisions at all that uh, are very bad. Uh, but I, I do love the arc of this book. Mark certainly grows as a person. He becomes more familiar with who he is and what he wants and how he can more sensibly approach some of his goals. Um, and there's some really great description and character analysis in this book and it you know it definitely is not one of the books that you should skip past if you can bear some of the rough patches yeah and also this book featured for real for serious the triumphant return of my beloved cordelia we did promise you absolutely she is amazing like as much <laughs> as i love her from her original books she is so amazing here. She is the no-nonsense freaking queen of Barriar, <laughs> even though she still has all of her sensibilities from her home culture. She has everybody's number, <laughs> including Mark's within minutes of meeting him. This, there's like emotional intelligence, and then there's Cordelia. And she just... Automatically, she no question embraces Mark as just as much her child as Miles. And I might have, I might have, I might have leaked a little from the eye sockets at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing her her steadfastness of treating Mark as his own person and not as a poor substitute of Miles, as just about everybody else in the book does. And since that's been one of Mark's greatest problems for ever, that is one thing that really gives him the strength to deal with the rest of what happens. Can I just say, with this book, I think Mark is my new favorite character. I might, I might love him even more than Cordelia. I mean, he just breaks your heart. He's got basically all of the disadvantages that, that Miles has. <laughs> And until he's embraced by the family, basically none of the advantages. And then as you read on, he's got handicaps of his own that Miles will never know. I, I thought it was very devastating and, and interesting and, and clever the, the way that Bujold teased out how you make a clone of a man who has severe birth defects, but none of them are genetic. So if 
If Mark had been allowed to grow up normally, he'd basically be another Ivan, maybe even better looking. But they had to artificially stunt his growth in different ways that didn't affect his metabolism. So his metabolism is constantly trying to process food and weight the way it would if he was normal sized. And, you know, at first he just jokes about it and he assumes that means that Miles is actually an anorexic. And then the way that is turned against him in all of the torture scenes. All I can say is gorge is what really made me just want to stop reading. I I lighted over that part because, uh, frankly, yes, that's this is one of the sections in in this entire series. I mean, Mark's torture interrogation, now listening to it, I mean, read it, I could just read it quickly and get through it. Listening to it as an audiobook was a rather unpleasant and uncomfortable experience. Were there sound effects? No, thank God. Oh, good. <laughs> thank, th- thank God, no. But just, just to see what happens, to, happens to him psychologically, physically, and otherwise, and just to have it, have it spool out in the audiobook. I mean, I have a new and I guess even deeper appreciation for Mark's problems than I did when I, when I first read the books. But yeah, that, that's because I got chucked into the deep end, and there was no way out but to listen to everything that happened to him. The so. only way out is through. <laughs> well, and, and that was certainly true for him, too. Um, and then you realize he's exactly as formidable as Miles by the way he gets himself out of that situation. But in a different way. But it's, it's, it's his intelligence that does it. I mean, how many people would think of the strategy he employed? <laughs> And who would have <laughs> the fortitude to enact it? Oh my God! To go through it all. There's it just that little bit reminds me of um, a Larry Niven story about a uh, a policeman who is caught by an organ legger who you know steals people's organs and sell them sells them, and gets the gets the organ legger close enough to him by sticking the cigarette in his eye. And the organ legger goes in to try and save the eye since they are valuable organs. And then he's in the cop's range and uh, then he can fight. Well, it it made me think of two other short stories too. Um, One of them is Nightingale by Alistair Reynolds, which is about uh, a hospital ship Uh, gone mad and is so upset by what it's discovered about the human capacity for war from from fixing humans. I don't want to spoil, but those of you who have read it and know what it does to a group of humans uh, can, will, will, will see the parallel if they read this book. And the other thing that made this might telegraph it a little more, but the other story I thought of was I have no mouth and I must scream. Oh, yeah. Because I was so afraid it was going there. And I'm sorry, uh, that is the scariest goddamn story I have ever read. Like, of all, you know, you can throw your Stephen King and your Robin McCannon and whatever. That story, Harlan Ellison, scared me more for all time. Scarred me. (laughs) So, (laughs) anything that reminds me of it. I admire the hell out of it, and I even forced myself at one time to play through that video game that they made. 
which is even more devastating than the story in some ways. But anyway, Miles's plight is like that. <laughs> and the, the, the fact that he was able to come up with probably the only way to get out of it. Box bites. Miles has a plight of his own. It's, mu um, it's much easier for me to talk about. And for so, so for readers, I know we've gotten spoiler territory. Since Miles is essentially killed and winds, winds up in a, in a, in a cryovid and gets mailed, which I thought was brilliant. I know. Yes. He basically turns into a MacGuffin for a while. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where's Miles' body? And every, everyone's horrified. Oh, my God. <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> and that's actually the first bit of approval that Mark manages to win for uh, for himself is by using his mind and his local knowledge to figure out where Miles's cryo chamber got misrouted to. Yeah, well, because Jackson Hole is, and it kills me that the planet I was born in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, <laughs> so it's, that always just messes me up a little bit. Um, <laughs> but. That's his forcing ground, you know. He began life as a an illicit clone of Miles and was raised in the crash that he's trying to rescue other kids from and you know, he was he was he was grown for a purpose <laughs> that he's not being forced to fulfill anymore. But Jackson Hole, that's like, you know, going back to your hometown and having to spend all of your time with all of the bullies. <laughs> Mm -hmm. that are still out to bully you. Interestingly enough, my my elementary school bully joined my service club today and conveniently doesn't remember all the times that she beat me up when we were five years old. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We're all the hero of our own story and we remember the parts that are important to us. Right. But so yeah, going back to the land of your first bad experiences. I mean, this is the book... I mean, we're in a period where Mark doesn't quite know what to, what he actually wants to do. And he starts to buy, once he's on Barriar and actually gets to meet people, he starts actually starting to see that he could have a life of his own. The, the scenes with Kareen, for example. Mm-hmm. I love those. He meets a girl. <laughs> he meets a girl who doesn't run away from him. I just love Team Kudelka. As, as a unit, as a concept, and as individuals. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't a book from their point of view there. That would be fun. You do get to see quite a lot of them in another book a uh, little while along. But, yeah, that, that would be fun. They could almost be the Bennett sisters of Bariar. <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 yeah, if Bouchel modeled them on the Bennett sisters, I wouldn't be surprised that I I should ask her if I ever see her. Did you did you model them on right. uh, Elizabeth Bennett and and her sisters? Because... And then just say, please write that book. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I had not remembered Mark's fight in the city until until this came. So I was like, oh my god, yes, and uh, we get, we get to see just how just how dangerous he is when when provoked. Right, he is not Miles as he keeps telling people uh, after he gets to Bariar. But um, uh, that's one of the starkest differences, is that he, he does not have bones made out of chalk. He is an actual fighter who can defend himself and can kill other people if he's not careful about it. And it also, that scene is really important because, uh, as Ivan tells him, Miles would never have been dumb enough to go wander around the caravanserai by himself 
And if he had, he would have slid out of it with fast talk or or whatever. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know that if he had a what he thought was a good reason that he would necessarily not be dumb enough to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. If he had a reason, he, he sure. Has, he has some <laughs> impulse control issues. <laughs> he does, but he wouldn't just wander around like a tourist. Yeah, yeah. But I love how this could so easily just go the path of Mark is Miles' evil twin, mm, mm-hmm. but doesn't. I mean, he's, he's got qualities that would make it very easy for him to become Miles' evil twin. But and of course that was the original plan for him. <laughs> yeah, well, more than that. Whoa. But um and and it and it looks like it's always going to be kind of a fraught relationship. But I love the way they both at some point toward the end muse to themselves about how much they're going to enjoy being each other's brother. <laughs> yes. Mhm. And uh Miles is needed they both needed brothers, and now they have one. And Cordelia gets to revel in the expansion of her family, which is which is very nice. But yes, there, there was a line in the epilogue uh, about uh, Mark's clothing. The effect was somewhere <laughs> between festive and sinister, like a small, <laughs> cheerful bomb. <laughs> yes, I love that! I love that. It was funny how there were so many endings to this book, too, because each time I thought, oh, must be over. And, oh, there's another whole chapter. Kind of a Lord of the Rings kind of deal, but better. No, no. <laughs> yes, better. Okay. <laughs> now that you add that writer of, but better, now I agree with you. <laughs> so I love that the ball towards the end. Um, that, you know, I love all the little epilogue type sections that we get. Uh, but yeah, that, that description of his outfit, I remember that too. <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> I think I might have said something incomprehensible about it on Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> but a small, cheerful bomb, that's kind of what he is. <laughs> he is actually a bit of a disruptive force to Bariar in society, too, even without assassination plots and stuff. Uh, look at how he takes... Um, Elena Bathari Jessic's uh, oath, uh, not as a liege woman as she expects, but as an arms woman, uh, the first arms woman ever in Bariaran history. He does not take for granted the things that most Bariarans take for granted. You know, he's horrified at the thought of um, ordering some woman, you know, if he gets married, to uh, have a live birth instead of a nice, clean um... <laughs> uterine replicator. Yeah. So he's definitely a force for social change. Yeah, I think maybe Cordelia is strong enough to not ever actually have a favorite, but I could definitely see how he could become her favorite. <laughs> well, I can see how Mark and um, Cordelia would be like the closest, whereas whereas Miles is a bit more Errol's son uh, and Piotr's grandson. Uh, he, of course, Cordelia has influenced him, but... Right. Yeah, that, that remains to happen. But I, I kind of wonder what Pyotr would have made of Mark. <laughs> that would have been a rather strange meeting. I did, I did like the Arrow-Mark meeting 
And like, mm-hmm. and yeah, and Mark basically laying his cards on the table. Yeah, this is my plan. My plan was to kill you and do all of this. And er- Errol takes it with rather, ra- rather a plum. I mean, Errol's had a near death experience in this novel, <laughs> so right. Well, that would not have been the first assassination attempt at uh, Errol. <laughs> he he's been to that rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a son from that rodeo. <laughs> Uh, so, um, yeah, my favorite so far, but I could definitely see where reading it again, uh, I might skip over a chapter or two. And holy crap, I often wonder about particular writers. Would I want to meet and hang out with this person for an evening and get to know him a little bit? And I've always kind of assumed, yes, for Lois, but where her imagination took her in this book, I'm kind of like, maybe not. <laughs> Well, yeah, we get to delve a little bit into the evil psyches of the um, the Jackson Hole's house lords. Um, you know, Vasa Luigi is a piece of work, but his wife, who for some reason decides to make her clone eventual oh. brain destination, worship and love oh. her oh. instead of... Oh, oh my God. I mean, oh. <laughs> Squick alert of like, oh my God. <laughs> to the point where she had a chance. Uh, she had a chance to escape, and she was like, well, no, I have to go be my lady's brain donor. <laughs> right. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah. Yeah, that was very chilling. Uh, in its own way, as chilling as just the outright mustache-twirling, uh, sneering evil of Rioval. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. Um, I think, possibly, if I had read these books during any other era, I might raise an eyebrow now and then at some of the outlandish evil, <sighs> but it seems of a piece with the times we're going through right now. <laughs> I can totally imagine somewhere where there's someone trying to make just that sort of scenario a reality now, and there seems to be no one watching The Watchmen anymore. <laughs> and you know, you always think, okay, of course, it's a planet in space. You know, it's hard to get to. It's far away that, you know, even with wormholes, it's an effort. And so it's a lot harder to keep tabs on each other. But maybe really all you need is some dirt and uh, clever landscaping <laughs> and, and strong crypto. <laughs> so this whole, the whole, all the body switching in this novel and cloning the, the programming and, and just the use the use of the use of that technology i'd like to focus on that much more than some of the other aspects and we we do get to see what jackson's hole is good for if you have money you can have what you want biologically that's what they provide and in the meantime when they're not doing that they're trying to screw over each other it's 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 not quite anarcho-capitalism but this kind of remind me of like some ken McLeod or some of the some of the places on uh, the planet yellowstone in Alistair Reynolds, although although you don't have the mind, you don't have the mind plague running through the planet by other oh, end. Oh God! Well, it reminded me a little of House of Suns too, of Alistair Reynolds. Yeah, because you know we've got that we've got one character who has basically shattered, just like the the characters in House of Suns, and then also his Poseidon's trilogy. The middle book is all about a woman who uh, clones and then 
duplicates her mind and, and sets up a syncing program. So one stays home on Earth, one goes on one space expedition, one goes on another space expedition, and they're all able to share experiences until one of them stops, opts out of the sharing. And then it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing. That's my favorite of those books. So, um, but I really like the way Bujold handled that here. First of all, so many clones at so many different ages. It's an industry. Yeah. All I could think of was, wow, okay, Orphan Black. And I'd already been thinking of Orphan Black because I was starting to think of with this new development in, you know, Miles isn't just Miles, there's Miles and there's Mark, and who could play them? And I immediately thought of Tatiana Maslany, but she would probably have to play the Doronas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, yes, absolutely. And I, I, I love poor Miles. I mean, because his, his brain's not, his brain is barely working as is, and he wakes up and he keeps seeing all these different people. He's trying to figure it all out, thinking, oh, she's aged. Have I been knocked out for 20 years? <laughs> I mean, I mean, when your brain really is gone around the bed, that's, and if you're in cryostasis, I mean, that's not an unreasonable conclusion to jump to. But the fact that, the fact that he realizes, oh God, they, they need miles on the outside to get them off the planet. And that's what they want. I better, it's, it's lovely balancing acts. It's a, it's a mirror dance in this novel where people are pretending to be each other and playing it on different layers with different people, trying to all keep it all straight. It's it's like the, the whole becoming the mask idea. Like Mark has to think like Miles. Miles has to think like Mark. And and they really don't even know each other that well yet. Right. They don't. I, I, and it trips them both up each mm-hmm. time. Their mental models of each other are wildly inaccurate, but they still manage. So this really felt like the most science fictional of these books so far, just in terms of all of the the different ideas that it played with. Setaganda too, but this was just so a much better story than Setaganda. Kitten trees aside, mm-hmm. <laughs> kitten trees aside, I will I, I will grant you yes. Mirror Dance is a stronger novel. At one point, I was just like nostalgic for the kitten tree. <laughs> and now I'm a little worried about what else she has in store for me, Lois. Oh, Lois. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you'll have some exciting, fun things to read about in a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a nice unspoilery way of putting it, Trish. Correct. We're probably thinking of the same thing, Paul. But uh... <laughs> oh, we probably, oh, yes, okay. yes. Remember what you're talking about so I can ask you when it comes. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk for a moment about sibling rivalry. Um, Mark, of course, there, there's a line, I think it's in the last book, about how, you know, Miles was just going along. And we, meanwhile, Mark being forced to play Miles was developing the worst case of sibling rivalry you ever saw always being compared unfavorably to Miles. My poor sister dropped out of piano lessons because the teacher kept comparing her to me. And then she, you know, learned to play guitar and, and stuff. But yeah, I mean, that people do that in real life. And of course, even beyond, you know, his his murderous father figure, once uh, once Mark got to, to bury art, everyone was uh, constantly reacting mostly negatively <laughs> to Mark not being Miles. and Except for Corrine and 
Cordelia. Except for Corrine and Cordelia. That's right. But, you know, I wonder if that might be part of the reason for why Mark fractured the way he did and developed his little split personalities because they all support him. (laughs) So he's got his own cheering squad now. The Black Gang. Right. Well, and, you know, Miles is made of career of that as well because, you know, it's a theme I've noticed throughout these books. They always talk about how he had to create this alternate personality Mm, of, of Admiral Naismith to deal with all the shit he had to deal with as himself on Barriar, you know, with the traditional aristocratic militaristic bullshit (laughs) (laughs) and the, and the anti-mutant prejudice that he's constantly having to explain, no, I'm not a mutant. Just wait till I have kids. Right. (laughs) And then of course he gets, he he gets, he gets a, an identical clone twin and he's artificially (laughs) stunted so yeah it's like god damn it you know the least the least you could do if you're gonna clone me is make one that looks normal so i can prove to everybody (laughs) i was going to jump to what did you two think of mark's meeting with gregor i loved it so interesting gregor's the other one that was really just ready to accept mark as a different person from Miles and was just like, I'm going to find a use for you mm-hmm. <laughs> and does. Right. And is immediately supportive. You know, Mark has to pull a f- in a favor to get to go riding after Miles to rescue him. And Gregor gives it just on, on faith because he's, he's known this guy all of two days, you know, <laughs> no matter how much intelligence he's gathered i'd say on faith but also on spec gregor we see from this point on we start to see him when he shows up he often will say let's see what happens um (laughs) that becomes kind of a trademark line of his um and so but yeah i love how how gregor demonstrates that um yes he has been raised by cordelia uh for for part of his life um and it's just neat to see him go to work. He has changed from uh, when I think we last saw him directly in the Vore game. Um, but, uh, you know, he was very uncertain of himself. And now he's much more certain of who he is and what he's doing. But that seems entirely believable, his, his evolution. I was worried he was going to turn into Cartagia. <laughs> <laughs> nice Babylon 5 rush at the... I could see him with like the tiny crest and everything. Because <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I do see the Baryarans as Centauri now. Remember originally I was like, oh, so the Baryarans are Cardassians and the, the Batons are Bajorans. But, you know, there's, there's a little Centauri. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I, I in my head, no matter what, Gregor looks like that actor. <laughs> I, I I do appreciate that. Yeah, that as 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 you said that we've gone from the uncertain, ready to give up his responsibilities and run away, Gregor, to Emperor Gregor, who really understands. Okay, I have to do this job, so I'm going to do this job. And but he's been raised by Cordelia, and he's willing. He's willing to. Uh, place a bet on Mark, basically, and the bet pays off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not just playing with his toy soldiers and saying, send more troops! 
or just running as spies and saying, oh, we, no, we can't do it the straightforward way. He uses both Cordelia and Ilian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, poor Ilian does get outplayed in this novel, which is not a normal, normal situation for him to be thor- thoroughly, un, uh, thoroughly mismaneuvered. It's like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you left to have been on that bid call between uh, Ilian and Gregor? Oh, yes, yes. Too bad her narrative technique doesn't allow us to see that as anything but something we, we hear secondhand later. I think it's almost better off imagined mm-hmm. rather than going for an omniscient point of view to actually see, yeah, to actually see Ilian, yeah. You know, if this ever does get adapted for TV or the movies, that they're, they are going to write that scene. Yeah. They have to. They, <laughs> they would actually, yeah, that, there's no way around that. Yeah. Hey, Hollywood, I'm available. <laughs> I write good bitch out scenes. But th- th- there's all sorts of characters that we get to see again, like Sergeant Tara, which I appreciated. And, and, Ma- and Mark's reaction to meteors, <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh my God, he's been sleeping with her too? <laughs> <laughs> well, he did this the once. But I just adore where Tara puts a pink fluffy bow around her neck and wears pink nail polish to try to make herself le- less threatening to the kids. And, and Mark thinks for a minute, wow, I guess she knows how threatening she looks. And then, then he thinks for a minute, you know, uh, of course she does. She must be. And so he starts thinking of her as a person. And then he goes right back into thinking, you know, of her as a possible terrifying sex object. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's, that's got to be bizarre. You know, you think you, you think you've been totally briefed on this person and you've been raised from birth to imitate him and then you finally start to imitate him and you realize uh, that's his girlfriend and, <laughs> and and that's his girlfriend and and then we haven't even talked about poor bell thorn yeah oh yeah oh yes oh that broke my heart although i was proud of of bell i'm not going to use that pronoun no no i no Times have moved on. I hate, I hate. It's old fashioned and the society's moved on and it's, it was different when she was writing, but I'm not going to say it. So Belle, I felt so bad for Belle, even as I was very proud of Belle mm-hmm. for taking the initiative. I'm like, something fishy about this, but this is my style, so we're going to do it anyway. Right. Well, Belle knew that Mark was not Miles pretty soon, but went along with it anyway because Belle was infatuated and because Belle has a little bit of that knight errantry. I'm sorry, the first books that I read, Miles kept thinking of Belle as as he, and I'm, I'm trying to break myself of that. Z. Z or they, yeah. And Mark does at first, too. And I, I, I could never make up my mind whether... Belle saw Mark as another chance to have that romance that that Belle never gets with Miles. Uh, I think uh, Belle certainly considers it. And I think Belle is mature enough to know that being older and having that secret over Mark would not be an even power relationship. I could see, like entertaining and then realizing uh maybe no and we've probably all been there (laughs) right and of course compare that to the situation when mark unfortunately does not rein himself in oh 
He has an encounter on on the ship after the rescue of the clones with one of the clones uh, that was rescued who is mentally eight or so, but in the body, the fairly lush body of a... Of of Marilyn Monroe. Basically, (laughs) yes. And Mark, at least on the surface, initially just intends to give Marie a drink of water, but he ends up sexually assaulting her and is only stopped because of his own torture conditioning against uh, sexual acts. Of course, that's a horrible scene, and Elena Bathari-Jestic, for reasons of her own history, is utterly horrified. And should be, but (laughs) Mark didn't go in intending to assault Marie, I think. But that is something that he definitely needs to work on for himself. He was he was viewing the Marie as someone he had saved and therefore someone he maybe sort of deserved, although he didn't even really think it through that much. He just saw something beautiful and went for it. Yeah, well, in a way, he is in a similar situation to those clones. You know, he's biologically an adult and he's had a certain set of experiences that will age him but in that realm i think he's still completely clueless and still still you know a horny teenager (laughs) Mm -hmm. and he was raised extremely badly on purpose yeah when we get we get some of that fill in in this novel where we find out just how bad it was to be raised mark yeah And later on, we see him doing his best to become more aware of people's boundaries and to uh, give them information and choice. Uh, and so he's growing in that respect, but... Well, he gets another crash course. Right. So, yeah, you know, that scene, e- even more so than his whole crazy plan to hijack the Dendari mer- mercenaries for his rescue mission, <laughs> that scene, I think, is the absolute nadir of his character. Mm-hmm. And going to a meta series wide, wide lens for a second, I, when I was thinking of that, I was thinking back to Ivan early in the series where he does something very similar. And it's, it's done very, it's very much, much more lightly taken and handled here. The sexual assault is much more seriously addressed. So I think in those years, Bujold, as a writer, decided to take the take this subject much more seriously from a power exchange rather than just like "oh, boys will be boys" sort of thing, and we get to we get to see the darkness of it. I mean, that that scene is still on Ivan's record, but it d- never did have the impact that this definitely does. Where we definitely see that yes, Mark did a terrible thing, and it's not uh, brushed over in any which way. It's it's full on addressed that yeah, you can't do this, dude. <laughs> right. So she started writing writing these books in the 80s, right? Yep. Yeah. So when we were all still watching John Hughes movies, you know, playing sexual assault for laughs. So it's in that sense, these these books, the way they've been written over the years are really quite a lens to look at how our own culture has evolved for the better. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, just as we were just saying before, like with the, uh... Belthorn and their pronouns. Yes. Yeah. And my own continuing <laughs> struggle with that. Apologies to our listeners. What's our next book? Uh, memory. Memory is the next book. Okay. 
Yes, that's the one that uh, Alex wants to be on, and I think maybe Jen wants to be on. Memory is a very popular book because, well, spoilers. <laughs> spoilers. Because it's a great book. <laughs> yes, it's another key book in the series. Things change. Oh, boy. Even more? <laughs> um, Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to reiterate what I think. The best one so far, even though incredibly uncomfortable to read in bits. What about you, Trish? Oh, uh, I'm not sure I'd say the best. It's, um, it's, I don't think I've ranked them as, you know, which one is best. But uh, it, it's certainly uh, a fascinating book. There are some great, great, great scenes in it. Great arcs in it. Some just really wonderful, lovely character moments in it. And... You definitely need to read this one, even though there are some hard parts in it, if you're at all interested in uh, this saga. You think the rewards are worth the punishments? Uh, it might depend on what one's particular triggers are, whether the book might be too painful or not. Uh, for me, it's definitely worth it, uh, and well worth it. You know, I've read it like three times. I just haven't read it like five or six times like some of the others. <laughs> what do you think, Pa? I think I do think it's a key novel in the sequence. We're not at the beginning anymore. We're in. We're starting to get in the mid phase, and Bushel's willing to change things and change the status quo. And and in in this novel, and sometimes in very painful sequences show depth of character, right? an evolution and change in her writing, which is going to continue. And do, I do think, yeah, if, if you're not going to read every Vorkazing book, if you're, just, if you're going to skip forward into this in chronological order, but not read every book, this is probably one you don't want to miss because you'll be very confused. <laughs> so, well, starting with memory, like what the hell is going on now? <laughs> because you, you'll, you'll, you'll miss crucial context. But perhaps we should recommend reading the book rather than listening to the audiobook. I think so, it sounds like. I, I'm a big audiobook listener, but yeah, had, had I had my druthers, I probably should have reread this rather than listen to an audio. But I've been doggedly listening to all of these in <laughs> audio. I'm not going to stop doing that. But yeah, this was, this was one of this was a <laughs> little uncomfortable in that format. Personal preference. Okay, I did want to ask you, it's been so long for me that I don't remember my actual reaction, but when you came to the scene where Miles had the needle grenade shot into his chest and he was thinking, wait, I haven't, and then things go black, did you believe in the death? Way back when? Yes. I thought, oh my god, this, she's going to end the series here, and it's just going to be like Mark, like, oh my god. You, you 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 blew up Vulcan to use its 2009 Star Trek reference. You really did it. You blew up Vulcan. Holy crap. And then like, oh, no. <laughs> Thank God. Well, yeah. So I was like, oh, the clone is going to be Miles from now on? <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly a brave choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's all going to be who figures it out when from now on. <laughs> that would have been an interesting what if to go with yeah but i like this the way it's going uh-huh oh yeah the brother <laughs> relationship just continues to be wonderful or at least wonderfully entertaining <laughs> well unless anyone else has anything they're rem they're just now remembering they wanted to say which is what always happens to me <laughs> <laughs> all right 
Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in and join us next time for Memory. All I can say is, and it's more appropriate than ever in this book, stay frosty. (laughs) (laughs) And scene. Thank you for listening to the show. If you'd like to support us, you can find us at patreon.com slash If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at our email at skiffyandfanti at gmail.com, on Twitter at skiffyandfanti, and on Facebook at the Skiffy and Fanti Show. Our intro and outro music comes from Dimension by Creo. You can find out more about them at freemusicarchive.org. Yeah.